Okay, so I'm glad to be with you uh, this morning and uh, to be able to uh, share in God's Word together. We're looking in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read uh, just a few verses from the end of Romans 8 together. So Romans 8 from verse uh, 28. It's uh, page 1135. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called those he called he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Uh, the, the verse that, I, that I'm going to make our focus this morning is verse 32 of chapter 8, uh, where Paul tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, so, this verse is really about uh, the great uh, depth of grace that we find in God. And uh, one of the things that's difficult for people to understand about Christians is that although we speak about a God who has uh, such great depths of grace within Him, that uh, we as the people of God often seem to be uh, pretty much shallow in terms of the grace that's evident in our own lives. Uh, so, in other words, there's a problem of inconsistency uh, and the lack of grace that we often show as believers. Uh, there was an opinion piece in the New York Times uh, earlier this year 
by a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, writer, an American journalist called Nicholas Kristof. And uh, this is what he wrote. He said, in these polarized times, few words conjure as much distaste in liberal circles as evangelical Christian. That's partly because evangelicals came to be associated over the last 25 years with blowhard scolds. When the Reverend Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson discussed on television whether the 9-11 attacks were God's punishment on feminist gays and secularists, God should have sued them for defamation. Partly because of such self-righteousness, the entire evangelical movement has often been pilloried among progressives as reactionary, myopic, anti-intellectual, and, if anything, immoral. So uh, there's, there's one uh, non-Christian writer reflecting on the kind of uh, reputation that evangelical believers have created for themselves, uh, sometimes because of the, the ill-advised words of uh, sort of tele-evangelists and prominent evangelicals. And there is in the world around us sometimes a reluctance to acknowledge the good that's done by many Christians. But we have to, I think, as believers, take responsibility and uh, hold our hands up and say, they're right. A lot of the time as believers, we do no uh, credit, we bring no good to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because although God is a God of extreme grace, our lives reflect grace in a really shallow way. And we're, we're not really allowing the grace of God to impact us deeply. And so I want to say, why is it that if God is somebody whose grace is poured out in such extreme and generous ways, why is it that we're not known for our extreme grace, for our extreme compassion, for our great kindness, for our overwhelming uh, patience, and love, and generosity of heart. Why are we not like that? Because the fact that we're not like that undermines the gospel. And it undermines the gospel because it says to the world around us, the gospel doesn't have the power to change people. If your life hasn't been radically changed by the gospel, so that you are a person who reflects grace in many varied and wonderful and bright and exciting ways. If your life hasn't been changed in that way, then what you're saying to the people around you is that the grace of God lacks power to change my character and who I am. So the lack of grace is a real challenge to us as Christians. And so we're going to take a little time to look at the great depths of grace that we find in God and to ask ourselves, how, how can our lives begin to reflect the, the, the wonder of the grace of God more clearly, more brightly, and in a way that brings great credit and glory to the God whose name we confess? And uh, what we have in front of us is the logic of grace set out in verse 32. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Our lack of grace is amazing when we see the greatness of His grace. Evangelical, Bible-believing Christianity is based on this message of a God who is extremely gracious and who goes to extremes of generosity, who goes to extremes of self-sacrifice, and who goes to the very extremes, to the outer limits of love in order to embrace us. Look at what verse 32 says. It says, God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He did not spare His own Son. So, we need to try and understand exactly what Paul's teaching us here. Think of, uh, think of heaven, and uh, think of how heaven has been right through eternity. And for all eternity, heaven has been a place that radiates with light and glory and beauty, and above everything else, heaven is a place that pulsates with a tremendous sense of love, because for all eternity, heaven has been filled with the love that the Father has for the Son, that the Son has for the Father, that the Father has for the Spirit, and the Spirit for the Son, and so on. So, heaven has always been a place where God's wonderful, rich, depths of love have been on display. But a day arrives in heaven that is very different. And on this day, heaven feels as if it's changed in some way. Heaven trembles, because today is different from any other day in all eternity because on one day, the beloved Son stands before His Father as a sinner. This has never happened before. It will never happen again. But on that one day, He stands in a completely different relationship with His Father, a sinner carrying all the sin of all His people in all ages. We're told by the Apostle Paul, he was made sin. He became sin for us. He stepped into your sin, stepped into my sin, and made that sin his own. And so, on that day, the son stands in front of his father, not as the beloved son, but as a guilty sinner carrying the sin of the world. And the Father appears not as a loving, tender Father ready to embrace the Son, but on this day, He stands before His Son as a judge. The sinner before divine justice. And heaven, you can feel the tension. What will the Father do with the Son? What will the judge do with the Son who has come before Him bearing the sin of the world? The universe holds its breath. And what does the Father do to His Son? Well, on that day, the Father says to His Son, guilty. All that sin is yours, and all its guilt rests on your shoulders. And once He has convicted the Son of guilt and sin, 
as judge, the next step is to pass sentence on the son. So, what will the sentence be? Will the father act justly, or will he be swayed by his incredible, passionate depth of love for his son? Is he going to give him a break? Is he going to go easy on him? He did not spare his son. The son cries, Father, Father, why have you abandoned me? And the father doesn't reach down with an embrace, but picks up the sword of justice and slays his son. The son, we're told, was not spared. He gave him up. To what did he give up his son? He gave his son up to his executioners. He gave his son up to death. And he gave his son up to hell and all the suffering that sin brings with it. What a day that was. The wrath of God fell on the Son of God, and it was not mitigated in any way at all. How great is our God that He would give His only Son while we were still His enemies. Now, what's Paul's argument here? Well, Paul's argument is a logical argument from the greater to the lesser. And what he says in this verse is, God has done the greatest thing He could ever have done. He did not spare His Son. He gave Him up to suffering, to sin, and to death. And so, if God has already done the most extreme thing He can do, then He will freely, He will graciously, He will lovingly, He will happily give you absolutely everything else you need. If God has already gone to the most costly place, if God has already given the thing that costs Him the most, then God is surely not going to hold anything back from you now. If He gave you His Son, He'll give you everything else you need. He's given the most important, precious thing He had, nothing more valuable. And so, the promise that rests on this verse is He's given you the greatest blessing He possibly could, so He won't hold back any other blessing that you need. That is the logic of grace found here in this verse. And all this is done out of grace. It's not done because we've earned it. It's not done because we need it or because we've uh, merited it. It's done simply out of goodness. Out of His goodness, even though we don't deserve it, He will meet every need we have. He will graciously and freely give us all things. Now, here Paul is uh, giving us a, an explanation of what it's like to live as a Christian. So, if you're not a Christian, then this maybe gives you a little bit of insight into how our beliefs uh, 
shape our view of the world and our understanding of life. Because uh, if you're a Christian and you, your life rests on the kind of truths that are expressed by Paul here, if you know God uh, through Jesus Christ, then that means that you live a life, and I live a life, of astounding security. And the security that we have, the, the guarantee that we have, the confidence that we've got is this, that God will always relate to us on the basis of grace. He'll never treat us, I think we, we sang actually already earlier on, He'll never treat us as our sins deserve. He'll never treat you the way you deserve to be treated. Thank God for that. He'll always treat you, always treat you with more love than you can ever imagine. How great is our God. In uh, this chapter, we're told, uh, just in the closing verses, I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither he height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the great security we have. And how, how do we know that this is true? How can we be confident that God will, will keep this word of promise, that nothing in life or death will separate us from His love? Well, we know it because He allowed His Son to be nailed to the cross, because He gave His Son up for us all. If He's done that, then of course He's not going to allow anything to undo that. He's not going to let anything happen that will break the greatness of His love towards you. So, in God's heart and mind and attitude, in God's sort of disposition towards you today and towards me today, then there is enormous, overflowing, overwhelming grace. There's not a little bit of grace in God. There's not a lot of grace in God. There is more grace in God than you or I can ever begin to imagine. Think of walking uh, by the beach somewhere on the west coast of Scotland maybe this, this weekend, and the wind has been blowing hard. So if you're on the Atlantic coast on a nice sandy beach somewhere, you'll have great rollers coming in and rolling in, and one great wave comes in, and then another great wave comes in, and another one, and another one, and it's an endless process. And that's the grace of God. You see, you receive one great grace, and then another one is just sweeping in behind it. And then there's another great grace behind that grace. And on and on for all your life and for all eternity, God will be launching grace towards you in overwhelming uh, ways, in wonderful ways, in great ways. Each grace replaced by another grace. What if you mess up, though? What if you sin? What if you rebel? What if you stray? What if you betray God? What if you deny God? What's going to happen then? Well, no matter how far you fall, no matter how big your mess, we're told this, where sin abounds, grace superabounds, 
If your sins are huge, God's grace is far, far, far huger, if that's a word. And uh, uh, Tim Keller, I follow Tim Keller on Twitter, and uh, Keller was tweeting yesterday. He's a minister in New York, if you don't know him. No sin is a match for God's grace. No sin is a match for God's grace. I'm going to read you just a few verses from Psalm 103. He will not always accuse, nor will his anger, will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities, for as the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving uh, home uh, from a place called Campbelltown. Uh, it was a uh, beautiful, clear, uh, dark evening. And uh, as I was driving up uh, the Kintyre Peninsula, heading north, looking out my window uh, to the right, the, the moon was rising. And uh, it was almost like a harvest moon. It was big, big, big red moon. And it started to kind of really dominate the landscape. And sometimes that's how our, our sin feels. Our sins feel huge to us. Our pride, our greed, our lust, our rebellion, our self-centeredness, our bitterness and anger, the hatreds, all those things, they just feel enormous and their weight feels enormous and they, they feel like they're dominating the landscape of our lives just the way that that moon dominated the landscape. But you know what? If the sun had risen, the sun outshines the moon. I don't know by how much. Somebody will know. I've calculated how much more light there is in the sun than in the moon. But that's the way it is. You know, sometimes your sins seem great and they dominate the landscape of your life. But then the sun of God's grace and love rises in the sky, shining so brightly. Your sins might be like Ben Nevis, but God's grace is like Everest. Just so much greater, so much mightier. So wherever you are in your life, lonely, perhaps new to Dundee, Maybe you're struggling spiritually. God seems very far away. Maybe you're worried because of work or family situations. I really want to urge you, stick with the gospel. Stick with Jesus and stick with God. Because there is so much grace for you still to find. Just quickly going to move on and talk about uh, how we need to respond to this. That's the logic of God's grace. And in return, we need to enjoy and reflect the love of grace in our lives. Because that's what grace does. Grace generates love. Uh, one of the ways we generate power in Scotland is a hydroelectric. The water comes pouring down the mountainside, and it then begins to generate an awful lot of energy. So as God's love is poured into our lives, and as grace is poured into our lives, it generates an awful lot of love back. 
It, you know, it begins to warm our hearts and melt our hearts and move our hearts because we see this great God loves me, and He knows me. He knows what I'm like. He knows I'm a hypocrite. He knows how uh, lustful I can be. He knows the dark places of my life. He knows my pride or my greed or my anger, the bitterness, the things I can't forgive and get over. He knows all those things, and His great love for me never stops flowing. And so, that should bring out a generous love towards God and others. Often, we don't really enjoy God's grace and His goodness to us because we feel we don't deserve it. When John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, uh, he was at sea when he became a Christian, uh, taking a a cargo of uh, slaves from uh, West Africa to the Caribbean. And uh, he had been brought up by a Christian mother, but really hated Christianity, hated Christians, disowned that upbringing completely. And he was on this ship, uh, and he was asked to go up on deck. It was a a, a terrible, terrible storm blowing. And uh, he was asked to go to the helm of the ship. And for some reason, he couldn't go. So another guy was sent up on deck. Guy who was sent up in his place got on uh, to the deck of the ship and was immediately swept overboard by a massive wave and drowned. So then Newton had to go up. And he was standing in the midst of the storm, clinging on to the ship for dear life, the waves sweeping over the desk, the wind, the, the wind howling all around him, thinking to himself, that should have been me. I should have been the guy who drowned. And he thought, eternity is staring me in the face. What am I going to do? And they said, I should ask God for forgiveness. And then he thought, I don't deserve forgiveness. So he said, I'm going to ask God for a forgiveness I don't deserve. And that's grace. That's what he called amazing grace, the forgiveness. You see, we don't deserve any of this. It's not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's not based on your day-to-day performance or consistency as a Christian. It's not dependent on how close your walk is with the Lord. It all depends on the goodness of God's gracious heart. So you need to then uh, really rejoice that there is a God in heaven who loves you in such a way. He adopts you, as we read in Romans chapter 8. You can call Him Abba Father. He lives in you by the Holy Spirit. He hears every groan and cry of your heart. He's preparing a new creation for you where all your sadness will be undone. He's given you a new identity, child of the living God. He's given you a clear conscience. There is no condemnation. He's given you unbreakable love. He's given you eternal life. You should be a celebrating Christian, rejoicing in the Father's love. And I just want to say in closing that we need to be like that. You see, sometimes as Christians, we can be a little bit gracious. We can measure grace out in small doses. We can weigh up how much forgiveness a person deserves. We can calculate what percentage of income we can spare for the poor. We can try to not delight in the downfall of our enemies. And yet, Jesus says, 
Give till it hurts. Serve till you bleed. Love without condition. Forgive and forgive and forgive again. And you know what? I cannot do that. That is beyond me. As a father with my children, as a husband with my wife, in all my relationships, I find it so hard and ultimately impossible to be gracious the way God is gracious to me. I can't do it on my own. But you know what? Jesus has done it for me. He lived a perfectly gracious life. His perfect life, His perfect goodness is what makes me accepted by the Father. And now we need not to try and generate our own grace, but to allow the grace of God to fill us again and again and again. The only way you can live a life of extreme grace is to be continually filled and renewed by the great and wonderful and amazing grace of God. He'll freely give you, He'll graciously give you, He says here, everything you need to live a great, gracious life, to be the kind of Christian that people stand back and look at and think, wow, that's, that's amazing. What generosity, what kindness, what forgiveness, what warmth, what empathy. And so, all of our lives, our every day, where do they need to focus again? Well, they need to focus back round Jesus Christ. And every day we need to hear the gospel again, don't we? He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquity. He freely gives us all things. In Edinburgh, uh, there's a castle. It's the only good thing about Edinburgh, probably. But uh, there you go. It's a castle. One of the nice things about castle, the castle is wherever you are in Edinburgh, you can see the castle. So if you're in South Edinburgh, where I live, uh, in Brunsfield, uh, I can look across the city and see the castle. If you drive in from the west, uh, you see the castle. If you drive in from the east, you can see the castle. If you look uh, from the north of the city uh, south, you can see the castle. From every different part of the city, you can view the castle. And you can stop and admire it. And uh, it's the same with Jesus. Wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing, you, need, you have the same view. It's a great view. It's a view of Jesus and His love. And we need to stop and admire and worship. What a great Savior we have been given. What a great Father we have in heaven. He loves us with an extreme grace. I'm going to say a short prayer. Brian's going to come back up and give us a song yet. Not personally, but uh, right, hopefully. Okay, Lord, we just want to pray and say that may we know that great grace in our own lives today. Fill us, overwhelm us uh, with the grace that you poured out on us through your Son, Jesus, and may we rejoice uh, deeply and wonderfully in his grace today. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk.
for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.